Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, open up with me to Colossians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. We would love for you to have the Word of God in front of you uh, so that you can read it for yourself. Uh, just raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. And when you, when you have your Bible, make sure you open up to Colossians chapter 3. It's page 984 on my Bible. I don't know what Bible, what page it is on yours or your, your electronic device or whatever it is that you're using. Colossians chapter 3. The title of my message this morning is Living the Resurrected Life. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to share this message this morning. The Lord's been using it in my life and I, I know that he will use it in yours because his word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, as we move into chapter 3 this morning, we, we were, we're going through a series called Enough, verse-by-verse uh, -verse study through the book of Colossians, and uh, as we enter into chapters 3 and 4 now, Paul is turning from theology to practical Christian living, and uh, we're going we're gonna to encounter this morning what it means to live as somebody who has been raised with Christ, to live the, a life as somebody who has been raised with Christ. So stand with me. We're going to begin in chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will, will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds together, binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, thanks, uh, with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts this morning. We know this message is so vital for your church, for the gospel, to move forward in our world. And so we know that you've called us in this culture in this day. Maybe we need to be reminded this morning, Lord, that we have been resurrected with a mighty purpose to proclaim your name, to let those who are stranded, Lord, in their sin know that they can be rescued through Jesus Christ and the cross and his resurrection. And so we ask this morning, Lord, that you would do whatever is necessary in our hearts, Lord, to, to, to transform us and change us, to make us more like Jesus. That's our prayer. We thank you for being here. We thank you for your spirit now coming to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated.
I think the message that we have here before us this morning is so crucial to the church. And here's the reason why. When Paul was writing to Timothy, this young pastor, he gave him a word in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He spoke about there becoming a time in which the, the world is going to, to be completely and totally running away from God. And those in that culture are going to need to stand up and become the voice and to let those who know, let, let people know that, listen, time is short. He called it the last days. In fact, let me just read it for you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of, them, of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sin and led them astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janies and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. This is indicating to Timothy and also to us what the last days will look like. Does it not look a lot like that in our world today? Does it not look, I mean, there, there's probably not a, a time in, in, in human history where people have loved themselves so much, right? We, we live in a selfie culture. It's all about self. Man, let me take the best pictures of myself and let, present the best, you know, uh, you know, image of who I am to you so that you think that I'm somebody that I'm really not, but I want you to see me as that. We live in a culture that, that really def is defined by 2 Timothy chapter 3. What does that say to, this, to, to God's church? It says time is short. That's what it says. Uh, there, there, there's been a degradation coming, and we know that. It's always, it's, it's, it's sort of slowly been degrading the, the culture, the morality, all that, we, all that we see in, not just in the United States, but across the world. You see, this thing started in the 1800s in Europe, and then the church died in Europe, and it swept its way into the United States, and guess what? If we're not careful, the church will die in the United States. There will always be a remnant. God will always send, you know, his message to people. But what we see here is that in the last days, people will not listen. They will not want to hear. Why? Because they love themselves so much. That is called idolatry. When you love yourself so much, you're setting yourself up as the center of your life. That's an idol. That's why God says, don't worship idols. They'll lead you astray. You have to be very, very careful. Paul, Paul's telling Timothy, listen, in the last days, this is what it's going to look like. And we see that in our culture today. Not only that, but then... Also, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devo um, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Now, I don't know if you've watched the news recently, but we're seeing a, a you know, prominent pastor, author here recently just renounced his faith. Joshua Harris said that he... No longer. What's interesting about that, by the way, is that, did you know Joshua Harris was a pastor of a church? He, he wrote a book and, and about dating and all this kind of stuff. He wrote, I think, something else, but, but that's really what he's known for. And then, you know, after a little bit of time of pastoring his church for several years, he went, to, he went to seminary. And guess what? When he came out of seminary, he was an unbeliever. You know, what that tells us is we have to be careful about just trying to attain knowledge. What we read in our Scripture this morning is that, or even in 2 Timothy uh, 3, that, that people strive to, to, um, to attain a knowledge that never transforms their heart. And Joshua Harris is one of those people that 
you know, went to, he got all the knowledge and, you know, became worldly smarter but spiritually stupider. And he got to a place where he said, oh, I no longer believe in Jesus. What a, what a sad state. What a terrible state to be in, man. Uh, we need to be praying for him. You know, I think that we don't want to cast stones at a guy who is, you know, who, who knows what's happened in his life. We have no idea what's been going on. I know he's going through a divorce and all kinds of different things. Listen, emotions will lead you astray. So we need to be praying for him. But, but here recently even, we see that uh, uh, Hillsong worship leader Marty Sampson made a statement that he's genuinely losing his faith and it doesn't bother him. It doesn't bother me. I, I don't know what state he's in, whether he's fully renounced Christ or not, but what we know is that he's departing. And it's, it's a sad situation. And he, he goes on to say that there's lots of things that the church isn't talking about. And in his statement, he talks about how we're not trying to answer hard questions in the Bible and all these kinds of things. I don't know who you're talking to, but there's many, many people that will sit down and answer hard questions in the Bible. Maybe we don't have all the answers, but we use the Word of God as our, as our, uh, you know, our map, our guide in life. So I'm not sure who he's talking to, but I know that uh, there's many, many people would sit down with him and have a theological conversation if he wanted that. It's sad to see that, you know, we, we can get... We can, we can be used by God. We can, be, we can have a platform to proclaim the gospel, and then we can fall away. You know, then, then we can walk away from our faith. And that suggests there's a culture in the church that is being produced that is fake, that is not a real culture. It's not a real Christ-centered culture. And in fact, you know, I love what Francis Chan is doing. He said, listen, I'm tired of feeding into the consumer culture in church where it's all about man. You know, hey, make, make it all about me. Make the worship all about me. Make the word of God all about me so that I can be elevated in my own heart, in my own mind. And, and that's not why we're here. We're here to elevate Christ. That song today, man, just, just is, is reverberating with this message. It is so apropos because... Let every other name fade away except the name of Jesus. Listen, when all of this falls away, the only thing that will be left is Jesus Christ. He is the rock. He is the anchor of our soul. He is the one that we cling to. And when we see these people departing the faith, that ought not rock us because the Bible says it's going to happen. It ought to sadden us. It ought to burden us to pray, and it also ought to cause us to put up a guard in our own heart. It, it ought to put a little fear and trembling in our own heart, saying, Lord, where am I with you? Have I, fallen, have I succumbed to the culture that says it's all about me? You know, this happened uh, here not too long ago with worship leaders uh, Michael and Lisa Gungor. I don't know if you remember that. Several years ago, they were prominent worship leaders, and God was using them in a big way, and and they came to the place where they, they decided they no longer believed in God. Why? I mean, if I listen to their testimony, which I did, you can YouTube it, they tell you why. They went through several serious trials of losing children and different things like that. And the enemy was, listen, when God puts you in a place where he's going to use you, you can expect opposition, folks. You can expect spiritual warfare. You can expect hardship. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So you're going to go through difficult times. That comes with the territory of being Christian. And they went through some very difficult times, renounced their faith. They don't believe in God anymore. You know, that, that ought to tell you that, you know, we, we have to be every day on guard because there is a trial coming. And if you're not careful, it will rock you. It, will, it, it can potentially sweep you right off your feet. That's why you have to make Jesus the single thing in your life, the only thing that you, that, that you hold on to at the end of the day because I promise you everyone else will fail you, but the Lord will never fail you. The Lord will never fail you. That's why as we got into Colossians 2 last week, Paul said, in verse 8, see to it. That is a present tense imperative. That's saying, see to it and keep on seeing to it, what? That no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, 
according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He's saying, listen, beware. There are thoughts that are going to sweep across, uh, you know, your desk, and, and if you're not careful, you'll be swept away with that thought, with that wind of doctrine that, you know, may not be... Uh, May, may not be at all godly at all. It may be something that, that is contrary to God, and you might believe it. You might be deceived. That's what it means to be deceived. It's like being caught up, being sucked into something that's not true. And I'll tell you, we have a, we have a world that's sucked into deceit, man. An incredible world. But, but here's the thing as Christians. Paul is warning us, but the other side of this is that we, we have to fulfill the call that we have on our lives, and that's to be a disciple. How do you battle deceit with truth? Right? How do you battle deceit if you don't know the truth? You have to know the truth. You have to be immersed in God's Word. You need to know God's Word because the devil is deceitful, and he's going to uh, try and sway you. Not only are we called to be a disciple, but we're called to be a discipler. We are called to go into the world as a disciple, and make disciples. So, listen, you can't teach somebody something that you don't know, right? You need to, you need to know, uh, you know, what you're talking about when you're telling people, hey, Jesus can rescue you. Now, I love 2 Corinthians chapter 1 because it tells us that really, ultimately, the way that God does that is he, he uses our own testimony as a means of being able to speak to somebody else in their, in their time of need. He says he comforts you with a comfort that can comfort somebody else. And so as you're di being discipled by the Lord and walking through various trials and different things, the Lord is using that to, be, to become a message for you to give to somebody else. We need to be uh, disciples. We need to be learning about the Lord so that we can go out and tell other people about it. And I'll tell you, it blesses my socks off to see people in our congregation doing that. Susan McKnight, I, I love what God's doing in your life, man. Rita Walsh is uh, also another person here recently that God has really captured and, and using, um, she's just proclaiming the Lord, man. Many of you other are doing that as well. It's good to see that because that's what we're called to. And when we, when we see the Spirit catch hold of somebody, you know, we can't but speak the words of truth, right? I mean, we, we, we can't withhold the gospel because we know that that's what we're called to. We're called to go out and make disciples, and it's cool to see that. It's awesome to see that. The reason I bring all of this up at this point in time is because it, we are short on time, church. Like Jesus is coming back soon. And I know every culture has said that every, every, um, you know, every generation has said Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus is really coming back soon. Like, like if they were saying that in the 1800s, then we should probably take note that there, Jesus is probably coming back a little sooner than he was then, Right? So he's coming back very, very, very soon. And if you pay attention to the world, you can see the stages being set, folks. You can see, and how do we know? Because all you have to do is look at Israel. All you have to do is watch Israel. You don't have to be a, a, a buff in world news, right? All you have to do is pay attention to Israel. If you pay attention to Israel, you'll, you'll know enough to know what's going on. Listen, time is short. Jesus is coming back. That means we don't have very much longer to do, the, to, to, to do our job here on the, on the earth, and that is to make Jesus famous. And so, you know, I, I think the church has been lulled to sleep, and I think that evangelism is something that has been swept away uh, from the church. People in the church aren't evangelizing. I mean, statistics, you can see it. Uh, people, you know, okay, why are our kids running from the church at 18 years old? Why are they departing from the faith? Because I'll just say, you know, they can make their own choices. I'm not going to say that this is a blanket statement, but I would say that they're not seeing it at home. I would say that they're not seeing the gospel being lived out in a real way in their own life. And, and you know, they're saying, is this all fake? Every child has to make their own decisions. So that's not, that doesn't apply to every situation. But I would say that based on the state of the church, that is a true statement that many, many kids don't see the gospel being lived out in, their, in, their, in and before them in their own home. Do you talk to your kids about Jesus? 
do you, when, when they're going through something, do you try and relate it, something back to the Bible to give them some hope? That's discipling your kids. Man, take that serious. Take it serious because the way that you live your life ultimately is going to tell your kids whether Jesus is worthy to follow or not. And, you know, and thankfully God won't let that be the only time. Like he'll come after them and he'll bring them back if he needs to. So if you've messed up, listen, there's hope. God knows and he's going to work through it. I've messed up plenty and, uh, you know, God is still at work. So I just want to encourage you, man, we're, we're called to live out our, our lives for the, for the Lord, and that's ultimately what Paul is talking about in, in Colossians chapter 3. Time is short. We need to be living as resurrected people. What does that look like? We're going to see here in a moment. There's two things that I want to show you in our text this morning. Uh, number one is that living the resurrected life requires a proper mindset, and secondly, living the resurrected life requires the proper attire first, the proper mindset. In verse 1, we see that he says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not on things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, is, it, it, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice the word if. You know what that is? It's a conditional clause. If... And what's the second part of that clause? Then. If, then. So if, what's the if here? What, what is he asking us? If, what? If you've been raised with Christ. If you're a true believer. If you've been born again. If God has come to live inside of you. Then, what? What? Then you must, he says, Seek and set your mind on things above. These are both, again, present tense imperatives. You know, what does that mean? That means it's something that we always have to do. It's a continual act of seeking and setting our minds on things above. It's something that you have to do daily. And what that tells us is it's not going to be natural. It's not going to be natural for us to just set our minds on things above. It, it won't come naturally. It's something that you intentionally have to do. It's an action. You have to get up in the morning and you have to intentionally seek and set your mind on things above. He's telling us that we need to con continually do these kinds of things. Why? Because that's where Christ is. Because that's where Christ is. Where Christ is is where we want to be, right? I mean, what Christ does is what we want to do. And so we want to be in the environment that Christ is in. And, and Paul is telling us, if you're really born again, then your mind should be fixed on heaven where Jesus is, and ultimately it will translate into your life. That's what he's saying. He's telling us that, that we have to, that although we are presently here on this earth, like part of us is in heaven with Jesus. Right? Like our, our mind should be fixed on, on the eternal things, not on the present things in this world, not, not in this world. Why? Because Paul told us we died to this world. We died. We died to everything that this world exists for. And so our pursuit is not a worldly pursuit. It's not what the world has to offer us, because I promise you it has nothing to offer you that uh, will, will translate into eternity. Everything is temporary on the horizontal. But if we focus on the vertical, that's, that, that will translate into everything that we're doing translating into eternity. So as we fix our minds on Christ, our lives will match that heavenly culture and God will be able to give us a different platform maybe than we have right now, and there'll be eternal rewards for that. So he's saying, man, get your mind on the right thing. We're not supposed to be living for this world, man. And you know what? There is a danger to be living for this world. The world, uh, you know, our flesh is enticed to the world. We want the things that the world has. But we died to the world. Oh, that will never happen to me. Oh, Really? I've seen it happen to many people. You know, 
you, you would think like, uh, you know, probably the, you know, somebody that was incredibly influential was the Apostle Paul. You would think that if you hung out with him, you would maybe become more like Jesus. You'd be like, man, that guy's like Jesus, so I'll probably hang out with him. I'll become more like Jesus. Like, he's going to put a fire under the flame of my heart and all this kind of stuff. Do you know that uh, uh, one of his good companions, uh, that he departed? He, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.10 that Demas was in love with the present world, and therefore he departed, and he went to Thessalonica to pursue the world. Don't think for a moment it can't happen to you. The pull to the world is strong because the, the old man, you know, if you give him power, is going to pull you into the world. But we've died to the world. John tells us, listen, he tells us why it's so important that we understand that, we're, that we've died to the world. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So who are you living for? Are you living for this world or are you living for the world to come? That tells us a lot of whether or not our faith is genuine or not. Ultimately, what, is our, what, what kind of love do we have for the things of eternity and what kind of love do we have for the present things of this world? The only thing that is of value in this life, listen, is the people that God surrounds you with. That's ultimately the only thing in this life that has value. And the reason that has value, because those people are eternal. Those people are eternal, and they're going somewhere eternally. So if you were to just boil life down into one thing after you came to Christ, because the most important thing is that you come to Christ. That is the single most important thing in your life. But if you could boil it down to one thing after that, it's that you take everybody else you know with you. That's what it's about. Like our mission statement as a church is to know Christ and then to make him known. To the, greater, to, the, to the extent that we know Jesus, to the extent that we can make him known to people. And it's so important, church, that you love Jesus and that you're seeking and setting your mind on him so that you can love those people that he puts in your life. They're the, they're the only thing that matters in this life outside of coming to know Jesus for yourself. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So if you fix your mind on eternal things, your life's going to be full of things that look that will translate into eternity. If you don't, it will be full of things that will ultimately perish, will fade away. I love what C.T. Studd said, and it's one of my favorite, favorite things to quote because it is so true. He says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Just remember that because this world is enticing, but it has nothing to offer you. Paul reminds us that we, we died to the world. What, what does he mean? He, he tells us in Galatians chapter 6, 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross and our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I also to the world. And then he tells us in Galatians 2, 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, we died. We're dead, but we're alive. We died to the world, but we're alive in Christ. And so, uh, you know, that, that we can take the words that Paul said as our anthem in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, as kind of the way that we live our lives. We're called to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's why we're living. That's why you're breathing right now. It's for the sake of the Lord. Whatever the Lord wants to do in your life, he wants to use you in some way, but he won't make you. You have to want to be used. You have to say, God, I want to step into the calling that you have in my life. He won't make you do it. But listen, isn't that what you want? To glorify him? Our lives are hidden with Christ now. And that means that we are partakers of Christ. They're hidden in Christ. So, Everything that Christ does, we want to do, but everything that Christ has, we also have. 
So we're living in this perpetual state, listen, of the riches of glory. We're, in this, we're living in this perpetual state of victory, and yet we're not realizing it. Why? Because we're not taking hold of it. We're not allowing the Spirit of God to, to have His way in our hearts to manifest the victories of Christ in our life. But they're there, and we have them. And, and all we have to do is unveil ourselves to those things. How do you do that? Make your life about Jesus. Make your life about Jesus. Not only this, are we hidden in Christ, but do you know one day we're going to be coming with Him in His glory? You know that? One day, you're going to come with Christ. If you're a Christian today, one day when He opens up the sky and He's coming on His white horse, you're coming with Him. Revelation chapter 19, verse 14, and it says, And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following Him on the white horse. That's you and me. We're coming with Him when He comes to reign and rule on this earth. We will be reigning and ruling with Christ. Why? Because we're hidden in Christ. Because what Christ has, we have. So if there's ever a moment in the history of your life uh, that you ought to be living for Christ, it's right now. Because we know, we just read, that time is short. We're in the last days. We need to be living for the Lord. We need to be making Him famous. Is that your mindset? When you wake up in the morning, do you ask yourself, Lord, how can I make you famous today? If not, start. Start, because that should be the, 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 the basically the, um, the motto of your life. Lord, how can I make you famous today? That doesn't mean that we stop doing what we're doing, but it just means that we, in the midst of what we're doing, we look for those opportunities, right? Don't be the guy at your office or your workplace that somebody comes out of the side and says, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. That's not good. That's not a good thing. I didn't know you. Hey, what are you doing in heaven? I never knew that you were a Christian. That's an indictment. Listen, everybody should know that you love Jesus. You don't have to, you know, hurl the Bible at people. By the way that you live your life, that is a statement in and of itself that you love Jesus. Hey, I noticed that uh, you don't laugh at those jokes. Why is that? Well, because I, because I love Jesus. And, and, and it's by the way that you live your life that you, you gain trust and you gain a platform to speak to people. So live your life well. Have the proper mindset. That's what we're called to do. Not only does living a resurrected life require the proper mindset, but also requires the proper kind of attire. No longer, he says, we died, right? So no longer are we representing ourselves we are now representing the Lord. Thus, we need to what? Dress for success. We need to dress for success. That means we need to put off the rags of, of sinfulness and put on the robe of righteousness. Paul goes on to help us understand what it means to put off and what it means to put on. First, he tells us what it looks like to put off. In verse 5 there, he says, Put off, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, two, um, in these, you too once walked when you were living in them. He's telling us because we've been raised with Christ, now we have the power to put to death the things of the flesh. I'll just tell you straight up, like, if you're not in Christ, you have no power over any of this. Like whatever your bent is, whatever you like to do, whatever sin you enjoy, because the sins that we do are the sins we enjoy. That's why we do them. And maybe the sins that somebody else does or you don't enjoy, that's why you don't do them. But boy, do those look, theirs look worse, don't they? Like, man, your sin looks way worse than mine. But, but the, the, the reality is if we've been born again, if we, it, our, that nature has gone away. He said you used to be like that, but you're not like that anymore. These things don't have power over you. If you're an unbeliever, they, have very, they very much do have power over you. And, and so Paul is telling us, now you've got to put it to death. Now this is where the faith, your faith meets the, uh, meets the road. This is where the rubber meets the road in terms of your faith. You have to now do some work. Like you didn't have to do any work when it came to salvation. Jesus did it all for you. But when it comes to sanctification, this is where you've got to put some sweat into it, man. You, gotta, you have to deny yourself, Jesus said. You've got to take up your cross and you've got to follow him. 
the, the debt has been satisfied on the cross. Like his, his blood is enough to cover you, and that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Christians. We're talking about people that are now in Christ. Like what is our life supposed to look like? We're uh, called to a continual uh, uh, putting ourselves to death on a daily basis, like dying to self on a daily basis. And, and what's interesting is he has two lists here. The first list is personal sin that he's talking about that, that's happening within the heart of a person. The second thing that he talks about is really social sin that's really sin against somebody else. The first sin he says, this is personal sin. Like he's talking about, and it's all sexual in nature. Everything that he talks about, he's talking about idolatry it ultimately is, is what everything that he talks about there comes back to, idolatry. It's all idolatry. Idolatry is, is whatever you find pleasure in yourself. It's, it's putting yourself on the pedestal and saying, whatever I want, I get. That's idolatry. And so he, he really talks about uh, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. These things, they're all idolatry. They all begin in the heart. And if you don't have the proper mindset when you're, when you're living this Christian life, you're going to struggle big time with these things. Because the Bible also tells us that these things are, uh, whatever's, uh, whatever's overtaking you is common to man. Like these are things that you're going to struggle with. Majority, and in fact, statistically speaking, you know, when it comes to sexual sin, it's a big issue in the church today. Huge issue. Not only in, in the parishioners, but also in the pastorate and also in people that, you know, we're all the same, man. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all sinners and we all need a savior. But when it comes to sexual sin, uh, you can see that uh, the, the more we pay, pull the veil back on humanity and our own culture, the more prevalent sexual sin becomes. And, and because our, our, our hearts in general are sexual in nature, like God gave us this, these desires, they're good desires. They're inherently good things that God has put within us, but if we, if we have the wrong heart, if we have the wrong mindset, they're going to lead us down the wrong road. So, you know, now we're wondering if having sex before marriage is, is wrong in our culture. Well, what does the Bible say? Sex is meant for marriage. It's meant for marriage. It's not meant for people outside of marriage. If you're having sex before marriage, you're in sin, the Bible says, right? It, you're, you're living with somebody that's not your spouse and you're having sex. That's sin, right? These are the kind of things that we need to be aware of. Hey, listen, I know nobody else knows what your search history looks like, but God does, right? Pornography is a huge issue in the church. Huge issue. 50% of pastors struggle with pornography. Look at it on a regular basis. 68% of men in the church-going men look at pornography on a regular basis. Uh, you know, in fact, from the ages of 18 to 24, 76% of, of that, that culture is searching out porn. Um, there hasn't been, a, a, again, a, a time in the history of, of uh, a man, a Thank God this thing didn't exist when I was a kid because, man, I'll tell you what, our kids have access to this stuff that is insane. It is insane. This is the deception of the devil that has pulled back, you know, pulled the veil over people's eyes, deceiving them to say, oh, yeah, it's okay, just do that, man, and it's made its way in the church. So now you have pastors saying, well, no, it's, it's not wrong to have same-sex attraction. It's not wrong to have these kinds of things. Guys, Listen, we're not following man. We're following the Lord. What does the Bible say? The one question that you always have to ask yourself, no matter what it is, is what does the Bible say? Who cares what everybody else thinks? Who cares what I think? Who cares how I feel about it? What does the word say? That's all that matters, right? Paul is saying, listen, man, there is some serious, serious sin that's going to exist if you don't put your flesh to death. And, and, and the way that we put our flesh to death is that we fill ourse ourselves with, with the, the Word of God so that the Spirit of God has the Word of God to, to convict our hearts with. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's so important that we have the right mindset because all of this starts in the mind. James chapter 1, I believe, talks about the, that how this, this really the way that sin works in our life. And uh, he tells us that it, it begins with a desire. Where does that desire come from? Desire comes from your, from your mind. 
your mind is the center of all things. When the, when, when the Bible's talking about the heart, it's talking about the mind. Ultimately, it's the center of where you make all your decisions, where your emotions and everything live. And, and, and James, um, James tells us the way that sin works in our life. And I'm going to read it for you once I find it. He tells us that, it, that sin begins with desire. And, and once desire, um, verse 15, chapter 1, then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. You don't think that it's harmful, the things that you're thinking about? It is. That's the seed that will be planted. You might not fall into that sin that moment, but you will because you let the seed in. That's why the Bible says, take every thought captive. If, if, he, I was with somebody the other day, and, uh, and they said, what, at what point is it sin? We were talking about, you know, he, 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 he had mentioned to me something about looking at a girl or something like that and just noticing she was beautiful or something. And I said, well, okay. So the way I look at it is the first First look is, is you've, you've taken notice, which is just admiring God's creation. The problem is what you do with that thought and what, whether or not you look twice. If you look twice, that's sinful, right? Because now you're, now you're not just admiring. You're starting, there's a desire there. And what you do with that thought, you know, that ultimately it comes back to that. Take every thought captive. If that's not of the Lord, man, get rid of it. And if you know you struggle with that, you need to walk like this. I'm sorry, but, you know, I mean, especially in our day, dude. I mean, these, these, a lot, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, a lot of people are dressing not the way they should be. I'm just saying, particularly for the male culture that has a serious issue. But, but Paul goes on and, and, he, and he says, listen, the reason why we need to put this stuff to death is because... It's, it's for the very reason that God's wrath is coming because of this. God's wrath is coming because of this kind of sin. Because he's going to pour out his righteous indignation upon the unbelieving world for their unwillingness to put their sin to death. For, to, 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 for their unwillingness to repent. And for the believer too. For the believer too. Not necessarily that you're going to experience God's wrath. The Bible tells us if we're in Christ that we will not experience his wrath. That's what it means in Romans 8.1 when he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But don't think for a minute you're going to get away with it. Don't think for a minute that God is okay with you dabbling in sin. Oh, I'm in Christ. Listen, yeah, there's grace, but God disciplines those whom he loves and he will do something about it. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. They were put to death for withholding and lying about what they sold their house for in Acts chapter 5. Paul says, you guys used to walk like this. You don't walk like that anymore. Why? Because you're born again. You're called to walk in resurrected life. He goes on here in the second list here, and, he, and these aren't exhaustive, by the way. He goes on and he says, now, but you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put the old self, uh, put, put off the old self with its practices, but have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of a creator. Here there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, the, the phrase put away, you can circle that in your Bible, you can write off to the side. It literally means to take off the old attire of the flesh. That's what it means, to take off the old attire. Like you're putting it away, you, you, you're, you're going to now uh, put on something else. He, he's switching now. He's talking about social sins. All of these have to do with somebody else. They have, they're, they're really sins that are against another person. And he says anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying. Now, these kinds of things, I would say, uh, are fairly, fairly acceptable in the church. Like, God calls them sin, but we, we call them humanity. Right, would you say, well, they're just being human. No, actually, this says it's sin. This actually says it's a manifestation of the flesh. 
Like, it's not okay to blow your stack, man. It's not okay. You know, it's not okay to, to slander another person in Christ. Oh, yeah, that person, dude, let me tell you about him. That's not okay. It's not okay to let obscenities come from your mouth. That's not okay. These things are not okay. But listen, here's the funny thing is that we, when we look at somebody who's struggling with what we call the big sins, you know, somebody who's committed adultery, somebody who is stuck in porn or somebody that's doing these kinds of things, we're, oh, man, I don't know if that person's saved. You ever ask that about somebody who, who struggles with anger? Is sin not sin? Sin is sin. Sin separates you from God. It doesn't matter how you categorize that. At the end of the day, sin is sin, and sin will separate you from God. It will. So, you know, we, we need to be vigilant with sin in our life. We, we, we can't let these, these, these little things, because I'll tell you what, it's the slip when you allow anger to take over your life that that's how you fall into other things. You know that? You give, the, you give your flesh a foothold and it's going to take over and it's going to run rampant. You need to put these things away. Don't, don't, don't fall into these things. Don't let them overtake your life. They will. That's, those things belong to the old life. You're a new person. You're no longer the same person you were. Anybody who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is past. You're, you're called to live in newness of life. Paul goes on here. He says, listen, the way that you do that is by, again, the renewal and knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, when God talks about the, 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 the man falling away, he tells, he tells us that it, it starts with them choosing the, the, the lie over the truth, right? He said they forsake the truth and they believe the lie. And what happened? Then they started to lay with one another, male to male, female to female, these kinds of things. And that's when God, the Bible tells us that God gave them up to their vile passions. You know, we read that in Romans 1. We're like, man, that would suck to be, in, be living in that culture. Hello? We are living in that culture. And if we're not careful, we'll be living in a Romans 1 kind of a situation. You know, we need to guard ourselves. We, again, if we don't put these things away, the, the flesh is going to rear its head. And, and we, we have to ha be filled with the knowledge of the Word of God, which, which will eventually help us to reflect the character and the nature of our Lord. Pa Paul goes on here to tell us that uh, there's, there's nothing that can bar a person from this, man. No, this is a, an invitation to everybody. There's not a Jew or Greek or any of these other things that he mentions here. Nothing can separate you from Christ. If you want to know Christ, you can. And, and when you do come to know him, you are on equal foot with any other person that's in Christ. You are, we're all equally flat-footed at the cross. We all need Jesus just as desperately as the person sitting next to us, man. And he's saying it's an available to, to each and every one of us. He goes on, he says, see to it then. That you put off the old attire and you put on the new. Look at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. But, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. To put on literally means to clothe yourself. That's what it means. So you put off, you change your attire, now you're putting on the, the, this robe of righteousness that belongs to Christ. You're taking off the old man, you're putting on the new man. Why do we need to do that? Because the Bible says that you are God's chosen ones. You're called to be holy. You're God's chosen ones. You are his elect. That means that we no longer have, we, we no longer have our own rights. Our own rights were nailed to the cross, and now we are sole representatives of the Lord, and we're called to look like him. He doesn't want to be misrepresented. You know, he, he wants us to look like his son. He wants us to look like that. He, he wants us to, um, he wants the world to be able to see Jesus when they look at us. That's the why. Now he tells us the what. He tells us, it's imperative. What are we supposed to do because we're his chosen people? We're, we're supposed to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and, 
and patience. We're, we're called to bear with one another, to forgive one another. Why? Because that's what Jesus looks like. That's what Jesus looks like. And do you know the main premise of what he's saying here? The ultimate thing is in verse 14 where he says, and above all, put, uh, above all these, put on love. It doesn't matter if you do all these other things because if you're doing all these things outside of love, they're not real in the first place. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's like a clanging symbol. It has to be done in love. And, the only, and, and ultimately, the manifestation of love comes from the Spirit of God. It does not come from us. You know, we look at some people and go, man, you are just naturally compassionate at heart. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're just, they're just quicker to lend the Lord their heart in that particular area of their life. Right? But, but there's, there, there, there is no, the, the old nature doesn't have these kind of characteristics. The new nature does. So we need to be quick to lend our heart to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to manifest love in us in all these different ways. Particularly, listen, the two big ones, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. To bear with one another means that you put up with somebody when they wrong you. Like you don't bail on them. Uh, this is another big thing that I think is happening in church today. Somebody wrongs you and you just go, oh, let's go to somewhere else. Uh, I'm going to avoid coming to church now because that person offended me and I'm going to go somewhere else. Wait a second, did, did God call you because they were there or did God call you to come here? Which one is it? Is God calling you to be a part of this body? So if he is, then you should be able to work within the body. If we're running from our problems, we are running from God. If we're running from trying to be reconciled to other people, we're running from the Lord. Listen, God wants us to be mature about our, our faith. He wants us to mature in our faith. And if somebody's wronged you, guess what? The mature thing to do is to go tell them. Like, if I've wronged you in some way, I would love to know that. Yeah, I, I mean, I would just don't bail on, on, on me, and, and I don't want, I'm never talking to Timmy. I'd be like, dude, what did I do? If I've offended you in some way, you should... You should be, do the Christian thing, which is to come tell me about it so that we can make reconciliation. It is absolutely sin to do anything less than that. And he, he goes on here, not only that, but then there's the forgiveness thing. We, we, we have to forgive one another. Listen, I know that there, there are people in this room right now that are harboring forgiveness from people. And uh, because that's a, that's a trait of the old man. That's what the old man does. And I know that, that whatever, whatever happened, you know, was hard and it hurt. But listen, that doesn't negate the fact that God calls us to be forgiving people. I don't care how hard it was. The Lord didn't say, forgive them if you feel like it. He didn't say, forgive them if it's easy for you. He said, forgive them. I mean, when Jesus was in excruciating pain from the pain that those people that were, he was hanging before put him in, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Did they ask for forgiveness? No. They didn't. If you harbor forgiveness from somebody else, listen, what's going to happen is it's going to eat you alive. Do you know they're in control of you at that point? And, and so you want to be set free, man. And the way to freedom in that particular case is forgiveness. Harboring, um, for, harboring uh, ill feelings towards other people is a prison, folks. And, and it will, David talks about it, it will cause your bones to deteriorate. It's, there's a reason why that's not healthy for us. It's a reason why stress makes our bodies, you know, go into disease states and stuff. God wants us to know that if there's somebody here today that is, is struggling with forgiveness, man, God wants, you to, to, God wants you to forgive. He wants you to move forward because you've been forgiven. Don't forget what he's done for you. Don't forget how you've offended him. Don't forget how you have gravely sinned against him and, and how he is graciously forgiving you. That's what the word forgiveness means. It means to be gracious, to be gracious. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. You get something that you do not deserve, and you know what? That person may not deserve your forgiveness, but you should give it to him. Why? Because that's what God would do. He's gracious. He loves us. And we should let the Holy Spirit have his way in us in this particular way. He goes on here and he tells us, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing, and 
psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness in your hearts to God. If we put off the old man and put on the new man, we will be ruled by the peace of Christ. And thankfulness will abound. Wisdom will abound. We'll be singing in our trials. We'll be praising Him in our tribulations because our hearts are set on Him, not on our circumstances. Verse 17 is kind of the litmus test to know, are we really doing this? Do we have the proper mindset? Do we have the proper attire? Here's, here's what it says. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. How do we know if we are doing this correctly? Our lives will be lived out for Christ alone in His name. In other words, your words and your deeds will reflect the nature and the character of Christ. That's how you know. Man, I'll tell you, just thinking about that, I need to grow, Lord. Help me to grow. How do I do that? He just told us. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Help me to keep my mind fixed on eternal things, Lord, and not the things of this world. That's how you do it. He's calling his church to live resurrectedly, man. Stop living like dead people. We, we did die. We were crucified with Christ, but we were risen with him, and now he wants to live through you. And the only hindrance to him doing that is you. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your goodness in our lives, Lord. You are so good to us, Lord. You have gone the extra mile for us, God, pursuing us when we walked away from you, Lord. You have, you have sent people into our path to remind us of how good you are, Lord. You are, you are just an incredible God, and we worship you this morning for who you are. Lord, we pray that you would help us to apply your word this morning, that the things that we, we have talked about, the having the proper mindset and being clothed in the proper attire, Lord, that you would help us by the power of your spirit to do that. We cannot do it on our own. And as much as we try, no matter how many religious practices we put into place, Lord, it cannot replace the power of your spirit in our life. And so we ask for a baptism of your spirit, Lord, this morning. We just pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit on your saints this morning, God. That we would live resurrected lives. That we would continually put to death the things of the flesh. And we would allow the things of your spirit to come out in our life. We thank you, Lord. We pray for anyone here this morning that doesn't have a right relationship with you. That you would bring them into right relationship with you even right now. That you would help them to say, man... I am so far away from God, and, and God is here right now, and he wants to bring you close. And Father, I just pray by your spirit that you would draw all those who need to know you this morning. As we continue to pray, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't have a right relationship with Jesus, that you know that you've, you're living in these sins that have been talked about, that separated you from God, and you've never given your heart to the Lord this morning, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and I want to pray a prayer with you this morning and allow you the opportunity to come into right relationship with God. He will forgive you of your sins. He will cleanse you totally. He will make you new. If that's you this morning, just lift your hand up in the air. We'll give you an opportunity to come to Christ. Is there anyone here this morning? God bless you. Is there anyone else that needs to know the Lord this morning? You want to get in a right relationship with God? Listen, the Lord is here, and he wants to forgive you. He wants you to overcome the things of this world. He wants to bring you into eternal uh, life where he is with him. He wants you to be seated with him. Anyone else? Anyone else need a right relationship with the Lord this morning? If you're on the radio, if you're listening and watching live right now, you can also just pray this prayer in your own heart. Lord Jesus, I come to you. I need forgiveness this morning. I need you to cleanse my heart. I've sinned and I want to be forgiven. I'm turning away from my life, Lord. I'm giving my life to you right now. I believe that you died and that you rose again from the dead for me. And I'm placing all my hope in you this morning. Make me a Christian. Transform my life and help me to walk in this resurrected life that's being spoken about in Jesus' name. Amen. And, and Lord, we just also want to pray for our time of communion now. We ask, Lord that you remind us that this is, this is a time where we celebrate what you've done for us, that we're reminded of the great sacrifice 
that you have done for us. That the bread that we hold in the cup is, the, is a picture of the body of Christ that was uh, broken for us. And the, the cup that holds the, the juice that symbolizes your blood is our means of forgiveness. Your word tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And so as we partake of communion this morning, Lord, will you help us, God, to come with a clear conscience this morning, repentant heart, and just rejoice in what you've done. You are so good to us. Lord, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.